I'm Hilary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, welcome. Great to be speaking with you as always. It's always great to be speaking with you, Hillary, and anybody else that shows up to listen. Yeah, absolutely. And we have three stories for anyone who's showed up to listen to us. And uh, we'll start off with the story about The Guardian getting hit by a ransomware attack, which they reported on the morning that we're recording this episode. So, Roger, can you take us further through this story and tell us, you know, apparently they've been hit by this ransomware attack and, you know, it didn't totally disturb their online publishing. But it is interesting what types of discussions this incident will prompt, especially relating to malware impacting the printed press. So I'm going to hand it over to you. What was interesting about the story, let me say, I love The Guardian. I read it all the time, the online version. I love reading it in print when I'm in the U.K., but uh, what I loved is the article started out like a lot of articles, like we think there's ransomware. Well, I thought, okay, that's pretty normal. But later on, it's like, and we're talking to a guardian IT, you know, CISO or spokesperson, and they think, we think it's ransomware. I'm going to go, you think it's ransomware? It's either asking for money or it's not. But I would take that to be a really good sign that it really is ransomware. But, you know, probably a couple of interesting points for this one. First of all, I think it was great that the Guardian said they were getting out online versions and they said that the Thursday print edition wouldn't be delayed. Let me say, I don't know if there's a Wednesday print edition, right? So does it mean it's being delayed or it said they'd have the Thursday version out, but I thought that's pretty cool. Whatever's going on, they're at least sufficiently capable that they're still, you know, up and running at least a little bit. That's better than sometimes, right? Sometimes people just drop off the radar and, you know, it's radio silence. And But I, I was thinking that, The first time I ever remember hackers or malware actually impacting a printed newspaper, and in this case, it delayed the newspapers being printed that day, was in the year 2000, the I Love You Worm. If anybody's old enough to remember the I Love You Worm, where it would show up and, you know, it would be emails or text messages saying, oh, I love you. I remember that day that it really was like a denial of service attack. It was just everywhere. The malware of that time's Melissa Macrovirus and I Love You and SQL Slammer Worm, they all kind of came out around in the early 2000s, 1990, late 1990s and early 2000s, but they actually shut down. So, you know, made newspapers very, very late or some of them were delayed a day. So I thought even if The Guardian was delayed, it wouldn't really be the first time this has happened. So it was good to hear that whatever happened, either through luck or preparation, The Guardian was fighting through it and, and going to have their Thursday edition out which is, you know, great to hear. But I think it also, to me, the second bigger point is that how integrated our digital and, you know, real worlds are. What do they say? In real life, IRL, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> that it's everything these days, right? Our newspapers, most of us are getting our news online. I still actually prefer getting printed stuff and printed books when I can, but, you know, sometimes you have to get it online or I still probably the majority of my news I read online. We're making our reservations. We're printing your sports ticket and concert tickets. It's online dating, you know, to where you might even get married, I hear. It's really amazing how integrated our online and in the real life, in the real world lives are today. And, 
you know, I think that, that of course, there's only going to be continuing additional mission critical things. I bought a new car recently, new truck, and, you know, at least half the new features are something that you access through the online computer ride and every, you know, they're like, Hey, have you registered for the app yet? And make sure you get the app. And it was like, you know, and you can do this, you can remote start it. And I thought, what do you do? If your computer and your car is down, I, I don't think I would be able to get in the doors. I don't think I could put down the tailgate of the truck bed. I was noticing, I was like, there's actually no mechanical switch to open my truck bed. It's an electronic switch. And I looked around and said, there's got to be like a mechanical switch where I can put the bed of this truck down. But when the truck is powered off, I cannot put down my tailgate. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I think about, you know, if you've ever had one of those in internet integrated you know, thermometers or, you know, air conditioning, heating, cooling switches in your house, like Nest, when the internet's down, all of a sudden you don't have control over your environment or you could have electricity, but if the internet's down, maybe you don't have your settings or you can't change your settings. You can't log in to change it. I know a lot of people that have gotten smart electrical sockets, you know, where they have them automatically come on and off and all that stuff. Well, it's all great until the internet goes down, you know, and I've had people tell me, you know, I couldn't get the light on in my baby's room. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the guardian story is just a reminder that, you know, more and more of our lives are online. And, you know, if there is a malicious intent to disrupt our lives, that they can do so. And it's going to continue to be, you know, a bigger and bigger and bigger issue till, you know, one day if the internet's down or electricity's down, there really is going to be, I think, you know, the loss of semblance of normal society. You know, our houses aren't going to work. Our cars aren't going to work. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way because the connectedness brings us all kinds of good things, hopefully, to offset some of the bad things. But it is uh, just, a you know, another reminder that our traditional, you know, in the real life, you know, lives can be disrupted by malware or hackers I do sometimes wonder, like, would ransomware ever get so bad? Like one day it's like, you know, Hillary, I'm taking over your house. Your house shuts down. Your TVs are off. Oh, yeah. You know, nothing's working. And the, and the hacker's like, yep, I've ransomware your life. I hope not, but you're probably on to something. I'm going to say kudos again to The Guardian for communicating at least what they think they knew and for telling people, you know, that, you know, they're still up and running. I'm so used to hearing about someone hit by ransomware and they're either no communication for days or, you know, like rack space or something like that, or they're so logically down, they can't communicate. You know, I remember one time last year, I was supposed to speak at a Fortune 500 company, and it, it was interesting. I'd wanted to have talked on ransomware. They went, oh, no, we got that covered. Well, they got hit by ransomware in the day I was to speak, and the way that I kind of knew what was happening was when I went to go kind of log into Zoom to, to talk to them, the invite just wasn't working. Nobody was showing up. I was the only person there. And then I went to send them an email that rejected back, went to the website. Their website was down. I went, oh, oh wow, <laughs> they're having a really bad day. And I was like, yeah, I think they must have been hit by ransomware. And it took maybe three or four or five days, maybe even longer than that for someone to reach out to me, you know, but I just thought, oh, they must be down. And I think about five days later, I learned it was ransomware. And they, they ended up paying one of the largest ransoms in history, like $25 million or something like that, you know, lessons learned and. I doubt my talk in ransomware would have been the key thing that kept them from being impacted. But, you know, I, I still think it's a good topic for any company to cover 
And hey, I've gone on, I've gone on too much about it. Just uh, watch out, kids. <laughs> that, that, that digital malware is now impacting your real life. Well, speaking of real life being impacted, the second story that we have to cover this week, NBC New York and a lot of others reported on how face recognition technology got a Girl Scout mom booted from a Rockette show at Radio City Music Hall the weekend after Thanksgiving. And uh, this woman, her name is Kelly Conlon. And um, apparently she was booted since she is an associate attorney who works with or for a New Jersey-based law firm that has been involved in personal injury litigation against a restaurant that is now owned by the MSG Entertainment umbrella. And, and for anyone unaware, Madison Square Garden Entertainment also owns the Rockettes. So, Roger, this is pretty crazy. I mean, what's going on here? There's a, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, I can't imagine taking my daughter on a Girl Scout trip to the Rockettes and then being kicked out like I'm, you know, an enemy of the state or something. But that's what happened to her. First of all, I didn't know that she was a Girl Scout mom. That, of course, you read you read the right articles that had that. That would, you know, easily raise the hair in the back of many mother's arms. That's wild. I mean, I guess it's wild on a lot of parts. First of all, that who would think that going into the Rockettes that they actually had facial recognition? That's number one. Number two, that it worked. Number three, that they had a policy. I would say that every policy like that has probably got a good reason behind it. Like there must have been some previous time when a you know a lawyer of an adversary came in and ended up causing more damage. Like I, I always have the saying that every policy and every law and every rule only gets written after the damage has been done. No one puts in the stoplight until after the teenager's been killed in a T-bone collision at the intersection. I'm sure they're in litigation constantly. You know, when you get to any level of any size, especially in New York City, you're just going to be in constant litigation and they must have created this policy. But, you know, I guess it was really interesting in that. I wonder, were they looking for her in particular? You know, when you do facial recognition, you kind of have these two different types. Any type of biometric has two different types of things, two different modes or phases, types. One is what most of us are used to biometrically, which is called verification. And that would be Hillary if, you know, I don't know if you have a fingerprint scanner on your phone or something like that, but that's called verification where it only has your fingerprint on your phone or maybe your spouse as well. And it's verifying that you are who you say you are. It expects that it's you logging into the phone and it only has to compare your submitted fingerprint or facial recognition against a very limited small set. Most of our biometrics today is verification called one-to-one. -one. I'm just trying to verify that, you know, you're supposed to be Hillary, you are Hillary. It That's considered, a, I don't want to say accurate, but fairly fast and fairly common. The other type that this woman got caught up into is called identification. And this is where a one-to-many comparison, where you're just looking for anybody's face or fingerprint that matches. So that would be kind of like, uh, like, you know, the, the law enforcement fingerprint matching, it would be facial recognition in any numerous countries where they're looking for particular people. And that is a lot more laborious. They've got to have hundreds of thousands to millions of samples sometimes of who they might be looking for or who they're scanning. And they're comparing it against 20, 30, 40, 50, couple hundred, couple thousand people, maybe thousands of people. The larger systems, I think, are estimated to have upwards of a billion 
sampled images, and then they're looking for hundreds of thousands of people out of that. I'm just taking some wild swag guess, let's say for the Rockettes. Let's say that they're looking out for a few hundred people, you know, lawyers, you know, maybe some criminals, maybe some employees that have been fired. So they have a couple hundred people they're looking for, but they're scanning thousands and tens of thousands of people. I don't you know how many people go to a, a Rockette show every night. I would assume that they're going to see thousands of faces every night. So that's kind of interesting that their system is probably got to be in a mid-tier to upper level scale thing. They probably, and I'm just making all of this up, just thinking out loud, they're probably using some sort of system like that might be used at one of the gambling places, you know, like MGM Grand or something. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're probably doing that sort of verification. And even at a grander scale, you know, to them, that system is probably not being tested super, you know, it's not the worst, it's not the biggest job that that system's probably doing. It's probably kind of a medium job for them. You know, it's still surprising to hear that it was accurate. She said they sent the police out. She's like, oh, I wonder why all these cops are all around. And she hears the woman in the gray scarf or something like that. She's like, I noticed I was wearing a gray scarf. (laughs) And how embarrassing it must be with your kid. Oh, awful. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, just uh, terrible you know, kind of stuff there. But, you know, that that's maybe another thing. You know, there's a lot of people trying to fight back on facial recognition. And certainly Meta Facebook has decided not to do that automatic facial recognition as much. You know, Microsoft and stuff like that are, are claiming that they're pulling back. You know, th- there's this big political thing like and, and let me say that's probably different than like, let's say that for a different authentication I'm authenticating with multi-factor authentication or, I'm, or, or a password or something. There's, there's usually not that much of a political side effect of it, but biometric and in particular facial scans. And really, you could say fingerprints, uh, maybe one day DNA, you know, iris scan. Remember Tom Cruise's Minority Report yeah. where he had to get his eyeballs Oof, replaced because yeah. they could scan his eyeballs? It's going to happen one day. What do they call it? Pre-crime? Yes, pre-crime. Exactly. So, you know, I think that is our future is that we're just going to have more and more of these systems. You know, cop cars today, when it, when you drive by a cop car, it's scanning your license plate almost every time unless he's, you know, unless that cop's on to a, you know, something else that, you know, you're the stoplight cameras, the toll road cameras are recording your car and the license plate. You know, in your face, you know, I think, I've, you know, I've read some really incredible statistics about China's facial recognition technology. The U, Like someone said in the UK, I, I forget this stat completely, but it's something like if you commit a crime, you're captured by like 30 cameras on the way home. <laughs> you know? And I remember that like when the UK was tracking some terrorists, they not only had pictures of the terrorist and terrorist event on, the, let's say, the subway. But they could actually follow that person as they escaped and you know went somewhere. And the same thing happens in New York City to a lesser extent. But you know, there's now gunshot cameras. I mean, there really is this George Orwellian 1984 general surveillance of the general population. And that lady got caught up in it. It's going to be an interesting world. You know, there's good and bad with it. I'm a privacy advocate. But I'm not the strongest privacy. The strongest privacy advocates I know don't believe the government should be doing any of it. You know, they certainly don't think that, you know, the people that own the Rockettes should be doing it. A lot of people that read that story are aghast that a private company is doing that. 
it's their private right to do it. And I'm sure when you buy the tickets, they've got some, you know, non-disclosure agreement. Oh, or yeah. You know, that you're, you're willingly, oh, yeah, I want this ticket. Like, who reads the end-user license agreement, right? No one. And the strong privacy of a person would say, you can't violate my privacy. And let me tell you, I, I really felt like we, in the U.S., we should amend our constitution to give every individual a guaranteed right of privacy. Although I think almost all of us would sign it away to get a TikTok video, right? Like, <laughs> like we are, you know, right now we've heard that China can be surveilling us through yeah. TikToks and we're like, I don't care. <laughs> Here we you go. Know, that is the funniest video I have ever seen. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's kind of funny, like even GDPR, EU's GDPR, which really is a lot bigger on privacy, really what that has turned into is a website goes, hey, do you want to accept all cookies? Or, and people are all cookies. I just want to click and get yeah. past this. Why is this screen slowing me down? Because I, I kind of laugh in a way that some people are like, you know, we shouldn't be able to you know, sign away our rights. Well, 99% of the world will sign away anything without looking. You know, this woman, I'm sure when she bought the ticket, it had some type of, we reserve the right to reject you for any reason. And, you know, and then it gets even worse because not only are you signing away, you know, you can be kicked out for any reason, which, you know, from a private company may or may not be a good thing, a good thing probably in a lot of cases, but you don't really get a chance to say, oh, I don't want to be kicked out. You know, uh, let's say in Twitter, Elon Musk bought Twitter and he's banning journalists all over the place just randomly. And then he lets them back in and he bans them. And, and people are like, that's ah, not free speech. Or first of all, it's not free speech unless it involves the government creating a law to stop some type of form of protected speech. Elon Musk and Twitter can do whatever they want. But I think you always quickly find out that like people would post a Mastodon link and boom, now they're, they're banned on Twitter. Anytime you use it in any of these services, they really hold most of the power and most of the right and can determine and decide whether or not they want to invite you or uninvite you. Even more concerning is you can't, in many cases, you can't even like go to court. You know, you can't say I was unfairly blocked and I want to be back in. I have my friends or my photos are there. You don't have that recourse. And increasingly, even if you think you can take someone to court, their end user license agreement is saying that you have to settle it before court, you know, mediation, which seems to me always to have the corporate interest more at heart. But it's kind of wild that in our constitution, you have a right to a trial in the United States, everybody has a right to a jury trial, but not really because the businesses have just changed their language and we're all willingly signing that away. I went to use Zelle or Venmo or something the other day and they sent me a thing and I was like, oh yeah, you're signing away your right to have a court case. You know, it has to be mediation, which for them it's survival. You know, they're getting sued thousands of times. They just want to get through the, you know, the case and have some sort of medium outcome versus having to spend tens of thousands of dollars for every little lawsuit. But that's what I'd say is that, so not only do we have the surveillance state where you know, people are facial recognition and apparently it's doing all right. It's not super terrible. I've written a lot about biometrics and talked about it a lot lately. You know, the error rate for biometrics is a lot higher than most people think. Like the best error rates are probably about 2% error rates, which doesn't sound bad, but theoretically they're supposed to be like one in a hundred thousand, but the best is like 2% errors, which means 98% of the time they're getting it right. So they found this woman, they identified her, they confirmed it was, you know, human people and biometric identification 
you want to always have somebody confirm that it is you. Like you don't like even fingerprints, like in FBI, when they find a fingerprint match, it always takes a human or two humans to confirm that it really is a fingerprint match. That's all really good. But then you pile on top of that, whatever service you're going to see, whether it's a rocket show or Twitter, you really have no recourse when they ban you. Anyways, it's all very concerning. It's the new way of the world and our kids and grandkids won't know any different. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess everybody, will have, whoever doesn't want this, will have to move to San Francisco. I know that they were, I think, the first major U.S. city to ban government use of face recognition. So I guess that's different from private institutions. But anyway, very, very interesting. And if anyone was going to read the terms and conditions, it probably would have been an attorney. And so, you know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I just I feel bad for her and I'm, I feel bad for her, her daughter. That's just brutal it had to be scary yeah it had to be upsetting yeah yeah that's the unfortunate thing humanity gets lost in it but yeah of course the corporates i would say well my kid's having a hard time because you're suing me because of this you know injury thing so i don't know at all it is <laughs> yeah, it is I what know. it is it's true well last story uh, and i read this in the new york times i think that i saw you read a, a post that bruce schneier put out there but the new york times published an article about how ukraine is urging russian soldiers to surrender to drones and they're providing these enemy troops detailed instructions on how to do so so roger i guess what do you think about this story and i guess is this a wise strategy for, I guess, any military, but also why, what, what prompted this, I guess, in addition to everything else? Yeah, the, the future is here. That particular story was a story that Ukraine is instructing Russian soldiers how to surrender correctly to drones before the drones kill them. It's very Skynet. <laughs> and they literally say, listen, when the drone comes up to you, Put your weapons down, raise your hands, wait for the drone to move up to shape up and down and then proceed slowly to the nearest Ukrainian soldier. I guess when I read that, I was like, wow, they must be killing a lot of Russian soldiers with drones. Yeah. Like if you have to create a policy, remember I said you don't create policies till there's been death. They must be killing a lot of soldiers. And they even said, now listen, sometimes the drone batteries run out. And so you could have to wait for the secondary drone to come. And when it comes, you give it the same respect. And I think there's recently in New York City or maybe San Francisco, there is this possibility that police drones or police robots could be automated to kill people. Did you hear that one, Hillary? No, no. Wow. This became a big deal on the Internet a week or two ago. But there was this law enforcement thing that said, hey, we're going to allow the drones or robots to actually kill people. And it's funny, the law enforcement, listen, no, 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 the drone, the robot's not killing anybody. There's a human pulling the trigger. Oh, okay. I think, you know, like Bruce Schneier, his comment was just like, wow, right? I think I posted this Ukrainian drone thing. Okay, we're here. We're in the future. You know, if you look at warfare, the drones and the robots are getting incredibly sophisticated. Every time I see a Boston Dynamics YouTube video, I just shudder. Oh, yeah. For minutes. I'm like, oh, my God, the thing's running <laughs> through the woods and running slanted. <laughs> and warfare, you know... Good luck with your guns fighting your government because your government has a lot of drones and they're killing drones, you know, killer drones. And right now, so far, those drones, as far as we know, they're not killing people without a human being pulling the trigger or giving the go ahead. I think all of us are going, okay, we're at the point to where there's probably going to start being somebody who goes, oh, we need to allow them to kill without asking permission. 
And then everybody's like, oh my God, this is Skynet becoming self-aware, you know, and if you don't know the Skynet reference, it's from Terminator. Oh no, I can hear the Terminator music every time you say it, the music that plays when the like drones are overhead. <laughs> it's so freaky. You know, I don't think we're going to get that bad where, you know, our drones start killing us and everything. Although Elon Musk is certainly worried about it. He's a lot smarter than I am. But every time you see a story like that, like, you know, I would say that in the middle of a real battle, you have one side telling the other side, surrender to our drones or we'll kill you. This is the world we live in. We now live in a world where the drones are used enough and so efficient that we have to give people protocols. And we're probably going to have Geneva conventions, right? Of what drones can do and what they can't do. And, you know, what the drone must accept as a surrender. And, and I'm sure we'll have stories about the soldiers look like they are surrendering, but then they attract our drones and there's all these anti-drone weapons now, ones that shoot nets, ones that shoot really strong electromagnetic interference. We are just in a strange new world, and all of these technologies are being tried out in real time in the battlefield and will absolutely make it to law enforcement. And then, of course, my nightmare is it becomes a part of my HOA. I'm like, Roger, I told you to get your truck off the street. <laughs> that's why we had to blow it up we told you we warned you uh, you know today i think i painted kind of a bleak technology picture civilization picture and maybe it is maybe i don't want to try to make this funnier light of it we're now you know along with chat gpt bot you know and all that we are now living in the future that we were both excited and scared about for the last couple of decades. We are in this automated robot, artificial intelligence, and it's all, it's version one, really. We finally gotten out of the beta and we're now into either late beta or version one stuff. And the version two stuff is now being invented. The future is here and some of it can be quite exciting, I guess, and then some of it quite scary. And it just is what we are, it turns out. You know, you got to be careful if you're taking your kid to go watch a rocket show. You could be automatically recognized and detained. And maybe in the future, it's a robot that's detaining. You know, I don't think we're that far off. I do not think that we're 10 years off from there being a highly automated, potentially lethal enforcement. We're on the cusp of it now. It's not two decades away. It's probably not a decade away. We're probably just years to a decade away from that new reality. And it just is what it is. I think you're probably right. It's beyond what I thought we would be at at this point. So who knows where we'll be in 10 years. But I think that's correct. Yeah, it's, it's wild. I was trying to think of all the movies that apparently Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger were in that kind of predicted all of this. You know, <laughs> like Demolition Man. Yeah, Demolition Man, maybe Robocop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Minority Report, pre-crime. Yeah. You know, so we throw Tom Cruise in there. I think if you if you get like the top five actors, yeah, the people writing those movies have been successfully predicting a lot. Like, totally. Running Man. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Way to go. Who knows your points for seeing Demolition Man and Running Man? Way to yep. go. <laughs> I, got, I got every movie with man in the title on lock, I guess. But oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I love all those movies. Um, yeah, they, it, I, Robot, I thought of as well. We're becoming a movie. It's crazy. They knew. They knew before. Hopefully we just don't get to I Am Legend. And that, you know, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or what was the, uh, the Brad Pitt 
vampire or the, yeah, the Brad Pitt zombie oh, one. You know, I didn't see that the World War Z or, or whatever. Yeah, that's one I didn't see because it. it's they're doing genetically modified vaccines Ooh. or something Ooh. and they cure cancer, but then it turns us all into zombies. So yeah. I'm like, that, yeah, that, that's that, plausible. That, one, that one concerns me. I'm like, yeah, I can really see it. Yeah. There's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably why I haven't seen that one. It's like I used to watch all these movies when I was younger, but as I get older, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm good. That doesn't sound entertaining anymore. <laughs> if I depressed you and made you worried about raising your kids, this is what I will say is that I heard all of these doomsday thing, the world's a terrible place 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. I had friends that okay. said they would never get married, never have kids. And then they all got married. They all had kids. They all had fun with their kids. And I asked them, you know, one or two of them, I asked them, well, what, what did you think about, you know, your doomsday? And they said, I'm so glad I was wrong. And I'm so glad yeah. that I ignored myself. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the world is a wonderful, beautiful place in a lot of ways. Very true. I think that's a nice send off for our episode. So Roger, thank you so much as always for joining us and uh, a lot of great stories this week and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Agreed. See everyone next time. Continue to fight the good fight. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. 